You were never meant to create this way. Caged by shame that whispers, you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, you will never be successful. No, you were born to create with wild and abundant joy, with reckless abandon, unfettered feeling, and the easy peace of unshakable assurance. Here at Wildmaking, we're reclaiming this birthright together, untaming our art and rewilding our relationships with our creative work. I'm your host, author and creative wellness coach, Kristen Kiefer. Let's get started. Hello, friends. As a reader, I tend to read a ton of fantasy novels, especially because fantasy is the genre that I write. But I also read quite a few romance novels, I tend to read a lot of history and a lot of nonfiction books on topics that interest me. But from time to time, I like to break from these standards for myself and pick up a really great murder mystery novel. I don't read them that often, but over the years I have read quite a few, and many of them have been the classic Agatha Christie murder mystery books, right? Many of them have specifically been the Hercule Poirot detective novels, things like And Then There Were None, Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile, that sort of thing. And in all of these Poirot novels, there's a specific moment that happens towards the end of the book. Throughout the book, as the reader, you have been following along with some sort of mystery as it unfolds. You have been not seeing the world through Poirot's eyes, but you have been there alongside him, experiencing the same things that he is experiencing. And by the time you get to the end of the novel, you reach this point where Poirot has figured out who done it, and now he is sharing all of the evidence that proves how he knows that the person committed the murder. This is evidence that theoretically, but not always, you as the reader should have been able to pick up as the murder mystery unfolded, but you are generally, (laughs) you're kind of put in this position where you believe that Poirot is more intelligent than you, and so it always is very interesting to see the methods that he used and, and the things that he, you know, evidence that he picked up on that proved that a certain person committed the crime. And it's this sort of evidence breakdown and the power of evidence that I want to talk about today, not because we are solving some sort of murder mystery together, but because evidence has a huge impact on what you believe. And if you've been following the early episodes of this podcast, you know that I talk quite a bit about how your beliefs create your results. And therefore, if you want to start achieving certain results inside of your creative practice, if you want to develop certain sustainable writing habits, for example, that you haven't been able to develop so far, if you want to achieve a big goal, begin selling your art, begin building some sort of platform for yourself, whatever it is that you want to do, if you want to achieve it, you need to believe that you can. If you do not have the type of belief that you need to have to achieve something, then of course you are going to struggle in that effort and likely end up failing. Your beliefs create your results. Most of us are carrying around, I mean all of us really, because we're human beings, 
are carrying around some limiting beliefs that serve as roadblocks in our creative practices that hold us back from achieving what we want to achieve or achieving it with confidence and efficiency and that sort of thing. So there's always work that we can be doing if we would like to, to identify certain limiting beliefs that we have and begin breaking up with those limiting beliefs so that we can pursue our goals with greater confidence and, like I said, efficiency. But how exactly do we break up with our limiting beliefs? Well, to answer this question, we need to understand how limiting beliefs form in the first place. Often, most of our beliefs stem from our childhood. At some point, probably when we were quite young, we had an experience that didn't go in our favor, right? We didn't get our needs met in some way, often emotional needs, for example. So let's say that when you were young, you drew a picture of a tiger that you were really, really proud of. It came out really cool and you wanted to show it to your mom. This is not a personal story, by the way. My mom is great. But let's say you showed it, you showed it to your mom and she didn't care. You know, she just like shooed you away or like she criticized the drawing of the tiger. She didn't offer any sort of praise or encouragement. Now, that circumstance, that situation it was, you know, at that point in time, sparked a certain realization in your brain that it was not safe for you to share your art because you weren't going to get the praise that you desired. Now, let's just say that in that moment, your mom was really stressed out and preoccupied by something, and maybe that is why she kind of shooed you away without offering you any praise or encouragement. Let's say, you know, let's say that's the case, and she came to you later and she apologized and she asked to see the drawing and then she was, you know, gushed over it and she hung it up on the refrigerator. In that situation, that realization that your brain had earlier in the day, that it wasn't safe for you to share your art, probably you know, wasn't a realization that was really going to stick because your mom gave you a ton of other evidence that it is safe for you to share your art with her. But unfortunately, there are parents who don't know how to fulfill their children's emotional needs or choose not to for some reason. And so there are situations where parents don't praise children for their efforts, don't praise children for their art, don't offer them encouragement concerning the things that they love to do. And if that was the situation, if you received repeated exposure over time that to the idea that it was not safe for you to share your art, then your brain collected more and more evidence that that belief was true, that it was not safe for you to share your art with your parents, maybe with your teachers or with your friends, that sort of thing. The more evidence that your brain collected that this belief was true, the stronger that its neural pathway defining this belief became. Does that make sense? Your brain is wired to observe the situations that happen to you, to draw information from that situation about how it is or is not safe for you to show up in the world, and then continue to collect evidence to support those beliefs in an effort to keep you safe. So if your brain learned very early on that it was not safe for you to share your art, then it's going to spend A, a lot of time 
looking out for other similar situations where that belief might continue to be proven true, and B, it's going to discourage you from sharing your art moving forward because that didn't keep you safe in the past. The more situations where this proves true, let's say that you did try to share your art with a friend in the future and the friend, you know, offered criticism instead of any sort of encouragement as well. That would be another huge piece of evidence that it was not safe for you to share your art with the world and your brain's neural pathway for that belief only would have gotten longer and stronger. And that is how beliefs become baked into our brains and into our nervous systems through repeated exposure over time, through repeated evidence that the belief is true. Having this understanding of how neural pathways are formed and reinforced over time can be incredibly helpful when it comes to understanding ourselves, understanding our behavior, understanding why our limiting beliefs exist in the first place, and can be very, very helpful when it comes time to begin breaking up with the limiting beliefs that are not serving us inside of our creative practices. So how can we begin this process? How can we begin breaking up with our limiting beliefs? Well, once again, this is where evidence comes into play. Specifically, there are two questions that you can ask yourself to really interrogate the evidence supporting your limiting beliefs and begin to kind of um, break apart the case for those limiting beliefs to almost like you're in a court of law and you are the defense attorney trying to poke holes in the prosecution's case against your client right? This is what you're going to do with your own brain and with your own limiting beliefs through the following two questions. Question number one is, what proof do I actually have that my limiting beliefs are true? Specifically, I think it would be most helpful to do this exercise while examining one limiting belief at a time. So let's rephrase this question to say, what proof do I have that this limiting belief is actually true? And when you ask yourself this question, you want to look for hard evidence, not anything circumstantial, not any assumptions that you have made, hard evidence. So let's say that, you know, working with our example, when you were young, you wanted to show that drawing to your mom, she completely dismissed it and continued to do so with your art over time. And so your limiting belief is, is that it's not safe for you to share your art with the world. What hard evidence do you actually have that this is true? At one point, you shared your drawing with your mom, and she really dismissed it. Okay, that is a piece of evidence. And it's not circumstantial, it's not an assumption, but consider the person who shared that piece of evidence, right? When you have a witness in a court of law, that witness needs to have credibility, right? In order for their evidence to be accepted into the case. Sorry, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know all the legal jargon, but I think you get my point. In in the example that we're using, a mother who does not know how to meet her child's emotional needs is not a witness who has credibility to give, you know, solid evidence that it's not safe for you to share your art with the world. That's a person who failed you, at least in that capacity. 
And so taking a moment to recognize that that, that your mom's evidence is not hard evidence, it's flawed behavior, can be a powerful moment to have. Continue asking yourself, what proof do I actually have that this limiting belief is true? What hard evidence is there that supports this limiting belief? On occasion, you may find some hard evidence. So let's say that you have a limiting belief that you're not a very good writer. And one of the pieces of hard evidence that you have is that you once wrote a short story for a really prestigious and well-respected creative writing professor, and you received a really poor grade on that piece. That is a piece of evidence. When you have a piece of evidence like that, that's a kind of hard piece of evidence, right? You did write a poor piece in the eyes of that well-respected professor. It's important to ask yourself for context. Maybe you are really sick that week, and that's why you got a poor grade on the assignment. Maybe you had just experienced some form of grief. Maybe you were a very new writer and didn't have as much experience writing short stories as other people in your class. There are all sorts of circumstances that can impact pieces of evidence that your brain has collected over time and can impact your view of those pieces of evidence and allow you to offer yourself compassion and forgiveness rather than further judgment. Even in the case that everything was fine that week, you were feeling well, you'd been writing for years, and you still received a very poor grade on that assignment, that piece of evidence, of course, does not mean that you are absolutely a terrible writer with no capacity for growth, no capacity to uplevel your skill, and that you should probably just quit before you make a fool of yourself. But that is a topic for another day because I want to move on to the second question that you can ask yourself to begin breaking up with your limiting beliefs. And that question is, what evidence do I have that my limiting beliefs are false or might actually be less personally defining than I give them credit for? So now that I think about it, that last example that we gave really applies to this question as well. Maybe you were sick when you wrote that assignment. Maybe you had just suffered a bereavement, right? There are circumstances that might serve as evidence for your brain that a certain limiting belief is way less personally defining than you give it credit for, that it's not proof that you just are a terrible writer who should quit before you make a fool of yourself. But once again, looking for this sort of evidence can be an incredibly powerful way to begin shifting and ultimately breaking up with the limiting beliefs in your head. If you can provide your brain evidence that a certain limiting belief is actually false, that it was put there by a crappy ex-boyfriend or a really shitty professor or something of that nature, then you can begin to step into far more powerful beliefs and leave your destructive and damaging limiting beliefs behind. One way that you might discover evidence that you've been taking these experiences far more personally than you should have is by asking yourself, okay, what what proof do I have? What evidence do I have that the opposite is true? Maybe you did have a parent who was constantly dismissive of your creative pursuits, but maybe you also had an awesome best friend 
who that you, you know, first met in college, right? Far later in your life, who loved your art and constantly encouraged you. Maybe that friend and all of their wonderful words over the years is the evidence that your brain needs to begin breaking up with the limiting belief that it's not safe for you to share your art with the world. Can you see how powerful these two simple questions can be when it comes to belief work and self-coaching? What proof, what hard evidence do you have that your limiting beliefs are true? And what evidence do you have that they might actually be false or far less defining than you give them credit for? Sit down, take a moment with these questions, and start making a list. Give your brain some tangible evidence that it is safe for you to start kicking your limiting beliefs to the curb. The reason that I wanted to talk about evidence and the role that it can play in our own personal belief work today is because if you're listening to this episode on the day that it's premiered or shortly thereafter, then you may wish to know that I am hosting a free webinar on Saturday, February 11th of 2023. The webinar is called Empower Your Creative Practice with Transformational Goal Setting. Transformational goal setting is the foundational technique that I use to help both my clients and myself up-level our beliefs and begin claiming the results that we want to create for ourselves inside of our creative practices. One of the reasons that transformational goal setting is so transformational as a technique is because it operates on this principle of evidence. It serves as a way to begin creating evidence that the beliefs that you want to step into are true. So if you would like to explore this topic in more depth with me, come check out next weekend's free 90-minute webinar. Again, it's taking place on Saturday, February 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern. It's completely free to attend, and the webinar will be made available for those who can't join live. In either case, though, you do need to register for the event, which you can do using the links inside of my recent newsletters. If you're not on my email list, you can sign up today at kristenkiefer.co slash subscribe. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-K-I-E-F-F-E-R dot co slash subscribe. And of course, I will leave that link for you in today's episode description as well. All right, friends, that is everything I have for you this week, and I hope that this exercise proves helpful for you as you begin bringing up with all of those limiting beliefs that are holding you back inside of your creative practice and beyond. Until next time, shine on, my friends. Thank you for listening to today's Wild Making. If this episode felt like coming home to yourself as an artist or a maker, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing to help this podcast reach a wider audience of creatives like yourself. And for more on untaming your art, be sure to check out my current coaching offers and subscribe to receive weekly wisdom-packed emails in your inbox for free at kristinkiefer.co. Cool? Until next time, shine on, my friend.